0: Today's show is brought to you by Leatherman Data Services. How would things have gone for LaSalle if he'd had a good mapmaker to find the Mississippi? What if the Santa Fe expedition had been able to commission a detailed survey plot of all the wells and springs from Texas to New Mexico? If Leatherman Data Services had been around back then, Texas history may have turned out differently. Leatherman Data Services are experienced cartographers who share your passion for the past. They provide high-quality mapping and geographic data services for historians, archaeologists, and cultural resource management firms, people who plumb the depths of history and need their maps to be accurate. If you think you may need their services, you can contact Leatherman Data Services by sending an email to leathermandataservices at gmail.com or find out more at their website, leathermandataservices.com. We thank Leatherman Data Services for sponsoring this episode and many others on the History Podcasters Network. You can find more shows like this one at historypodcasters.com.
1: You thought the world was flat, but I just blew, we just blew your mind. Yeah. The world is round, baby. <laughs> Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski.
2: And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom.
1: Texas is a place that naturally attracts myths and legends, and none more so than those that relate to Texas politics. Today, we look at the history behind some of these political myths in Texas history. But first, what's your favorite Texas Air Force Base, living
2: or dead? I'm a big fan of Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, where the Air Force's fighter pilots are all trained.
0: I am a huge fan of the deer departed Bergstrom Air Force Base in Austin, Texas. Uh, my grandfather was in the Air Force Base, and we went to visit in the summer. We would always do grocery shopping there and hang out in the arcade at the BX, and it was just part of my life. So,
1: well, I'm a fan of Kelly Airfield, but that's because my grandpa worked there as metallurgist for a while, and also because now it's a toxic waste dump.
2: Mm-hmm. Right in the middle
1: of San Antonio. Right in the middle of San Antonio. Today we're going to do something a little bit different as we look at these interesting political peculiarities from the Lone Star State. On all of these, we're going to look at things from a historical perspective. We are not legal scholars, constitutional
0: experts, or even professional historians. Wait a minute,
1: this is a disclaimer. Scott always reads the
0: disclaimers. We're only going to look at facts of history and maybe some of our own opinions. You are entitled to disagree, and we welcome you to do so. Again, this is not intended to be political. It's just intended to be a look at these myths and legends and discrepancies and talk about what they mean to us.
2: Okay, so let's get started. Number one, Texas is the only state with the legal right to secede. (laughs) No. Okay, well, let's just jump right into the deep end of the pool. We've talked about this a little bit before in our uh, Civil War episode. So this myth goes something like this. Texas is the only state that's allowed to secede because it was a free nation before becoming a state. Or we've also heard, Texas is the only state that could secede because the Treaty of Annexation allowed them to do so. Now, the first one's a bit more problematic, and it's bound up in constitutional interpretation, so we're going to save that just for uh, later on. But we're going to tackle the second one, because that one we can shoot down pretty quickly. So for pretty much the entire time, Texas is independent, or at least as long as Sam Houston was in charge— Texas tried to get annexed by the United States. Texas was perpetually broke, and it only controlled about half of the territory it claimed from Mexico. Mexico and the Comanche were pretty much in control of the rest. Pre-Civil War politics between slave and free states prevented annexation, as the northern states were not going to allow a slave state of that size to come into the U.S., and at any rate, such a move would guarantee war with Mexico.
1: By 1844, though, the mood in the U.S. was more solidly in favor of expansion west, even at the cost of war with Mexico and adding another slave area. So, the John Tyler administration negotiated a treaty of annexation with Texas on April 12, annexing Texas territory and paying, or forgiving, the Texans' debt. As it was a treaty with a foreign nation, the U.S. Senate had to ratify it by a two-thirds majority, which the pro-annexation supporters could not garner. After the election of pro Texas Senator James Polk to the presidency, he worked with the lame duck President Tyler and the lame duck Congress to push through a joint resolution which needed a simple majority to annex Texas as a state. The ordinance was offered to and accepted by the Republic of Texas on July 4, 1845, with annexation actually occurring on February 14, 1846. And I know this for a fact because there's no shortage of Texas tattoos that I see with the great emblazoned
0: 1845 on them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so how does that answer the question? You can read the 1844 Tyler-Texas Treaty, which was rejected by the Senate, the Joint Resolution of Annexation from Congress, and Texas's Annexation Ordinance Online. Nowhere in any of these, though, does it say or imply that Texas could leave the Union or behave in any way differently than any other state. The joint resolution does say that Texas, quote, "...shall be admitted into the Union by virtue of this act on an equal footing with the existing states." So, clearly Texas entered the Union with the same rights and privileges as other states under the United States Constitution. It had no special cause for secession than any other state did or does. In point of fact, neither the Texas Ordinance of Secession in 1861, nor the Declaration of Causes, does much more than say that Texas entered the Union as a free and sovereign republic, but otherwise holds to solidarity with the rest of the seceding states.
1: So could Texas secede from the Union? At the time they thought they could, the fate accompli that came from losing the Civil War, and just as unimportantly from the Supreme Court case Texas versus White, clearly set the legal precedent that the Union under the Constitution is a perpetual one, that secession was not legal or valid, and that Texas, once joined to the Union, can't leave. So the short answer is to say, Texas cannot secede any more than any other state, which is to say, not at all. To our friends who may have bumper stickers with a Texas flag and the word secede on them,
0: I guess we can say, that ship has sailed. Myth number two. Texas is the only state with the legal right to split into multiple states. Mm. This one is somewhat related to the previous question, and in fact, it's something that's come up in recent years. You might have heard something along the lines of, when Texas was annexed, the Treaty of Annexation let Texas split into up to four states, and sometimes even, no other state has that right is added. Well, at least the former part is true. The joint resolution that approved annexation states... New states of convenient size, not exceeding four in number, in addition to the said state of Texas, and having sufficient population, may, hereafter, by the consent of said state, be formed out of the territory thereof. Legal Speak. The main reason this provision is in the joint resolution was that it was part of a compromise worked out to get anti annexation senators to agree to the vote for the resolution, with the promise or assumption that Texas would divide into two states, one slave and one free. To avoid upsetting the balance between free states and slaveholding states. Of course, this never happened, but the idea was explored at various points, including during the Reconstruction.
2: But does Texas have the sole right to do this among all the states? Well, the joint resolution does continue the language we previously quoted by saying, quote, which shall be entitled to admission under the provisions of the federal constitution. End quote. Article 4 of the U.S Constitution states, quote, "New states may be admitted by the Congress into this Union, but no new states shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state be formed by the junction of two or more states or parts of the states, without the consent of the legislatures of the states concerned as well as of the Congress." End quote. So, Texas can split into as many states as it' like to, but only with the consent of the Texas Legislature and of the United States Congress. Just like any other state.
1: Myth number three. Texas is the only state to be its own country before entering the
2: U.S.
1: (coughs) Nope. Here's another myth for you. Texas is proudly the only state to have been recognized in the community of nations as a free and sovereign country. This gives Texas a unique status as an equal to the United States. Now to our detractors, this comes across as... Texas thinks it's its own country before it became a state, but that's not true.
2: Yeah, my sister-in-law moved to Albany, New York, and a co-worker spouted that off in front of her, and uh, my sister-in-law had to say, no, that's mm-hmm. actually true. Right. Well, both
1: of those statements are false, but there's a grain of truth to them.
0: Texas was a free and independent state from March 2, 1836 until February 14, 1846, when it was annexed by the United States. While Santa Ana, commander-in-chief of Mexico's military and de facto head of state, did sign the Treaty of Velasco with Texas after San Jacinto recognizing Texas' independence and the Rio Grande as its border, the Mexican government never recognized the treaty, and in fact Texas never complied with all the terms either. However, France, Belgium, Holland, the Russian Empire, and the United States all recognized Texas' independence. The French Legation House in Austin is a very nice museum and has a lot of great information about this time period. As we talked about earlier, when Texas was annexed into the Union, it was a sovereign and independent nation, the only one to do so by direct admission as a state. However, they were not the only state that had been recognized as an independent nation. Vermont, Oregon, California, and of course the
1: Confederate states all had periods of self-government separate from or prior to joining the United States. And there have been several smaller separatist movements in different parts of the United States, but none were recognized by the U.S. or any other nations as sovereign. Remember that sovereignty is an important distinction and was critical to the American Revolution and to Texas' viability as a republic. But there is one state that had its own country and
0: was recognized as such by the rest of the world. The Kingdom of Hawaii was an independent nation from the 1790s when Kamehameha unified the islands into one government. In 1842 and 1843, France, Britain, Belgium, and the United States recognized the Hawaiian island sovereignty, and later Japan and other nations did so as well. The Republic of Hawaii, declared in 1894 after American business interests deposed the monarchy, was only recognized by the United States prior to Hawaii being annexed by the U.S. in 1898. It became a territory, though, and not a directly admitted state. Statehood would not come until 1960. The last state to be admitted into the union, so Texas can truly claim to be the only former sovereign nation to be admitted directly as a state. It doesn't sound as good, so that's a big reason why it gets shortened to the only sovereign nation prior to becoming a state. Myth number four:
1: The Texas flag can be flown at the same level as the U.S. flag because Texas was a sovereign nation.
2: Ding, ding, ding. Oh
1: no. <laughs> This one is a fairly common-held urban legend. The most common statement you will hear is, Texas has the right as part of the Treaty of Annexation. A PBS website one time even perpetuated this myth, but again, if you look at the Tyler, Texas Treaty, the Joint Resolution for Annexation or the Texas Ordinance of Annexation, they say nothing of the kind. The U.S. Flag Code states that any state flag can be flown at the same height as the U.S. flag, but the U.S. flag should be on the right, or to you, the viewer's left, when there are two flag poles or in the center when there are multiple flagpoles. Texas flag code says exactly the same thing. So yes, Texas can fly the flag at the same level as the U.S. flag, but no more or less than any state.
2: And this is one of your pet peeves, right?
1: This myth isn't exactly a pet peeve for me. It's just one of those funny things of, I always thought it was true because it was the thing that your third grade teacher taught you, (laughs) but it turns out that it's completely false. It's just that in Texas, we're willing to spend a lot more money on (laughs) flagpoles for our state flags. (laughs) Yes, exactly because everybody else is just one flag fold is just fine yeah no way that's an important line item expense
2: myth number five the railroad commission of texas has nothing to do with railroads True. so this is a no-brainer right why would the texas railroad commission not have anything to do with railroads well in fact it's not a myth despite its name the railroad commission doesn't regulate railroads anymore at least Often referred
0: to as the RRC, it is the state's oldest regulatory body and was established by state constitutional amendment in 1891 with jurisdiction over the operations of railroads, terminals, wharves, and express companies. It was designed to set intrastate rates, i.e. the rates within the state, establish the rules that railroad companies operated, and to enforce those rules as well as to allow fair competition. Corruption caused by railroad monopolies was a major factor in the establishment of the agency, and its first commissioner was former Confederate Postmaster General and U.S. Senator John Reagan, who had lobbied for several years against this corruption. After 1894, a three-person body of elected commissioners was established, which continues to today.
2: So how did they get involved with oil? Prior to building oil pipelines in the teens, oil was transported by rail, so rates right-of-way and transport was already being regulated by the commission which generally tried to work within the industry rather than against it for the sake of efficiency. In 1917, the state legislature expanded the RRC's authority to ensure that oil pipelines were, quote, common carriers, which meant that they couldn't refuse to transport anyone's oil or gas, and over the next few years, they gave them the authority over well spacing and other natural gas wells and pipelines. In the 1930s, the oil booms in West and East Texas, which were driven by uncontained wildcatting and overproduction, caused the price of crude oil to collapse. And through a protracted and bitter struggle, the RRC was also given the authority to regulate oil production rates in the state. And this served to benefit not just Texas, but the entire oil market. This actually gave this state agency an unprecedented national and even international influence.
1: The RRC remained a critical player in the world's energy production market until the rise of OPEC in the 1970s shifted the oil industry focus to the Middle East. Ironically, OPEC modeled itself on the RRC. In the 80s and 90s, the commission's primary focus was on natural gas regulation, the regulation of railroads and shipping, that transition to the Texas Department of Transportation, the last of these oversight functions finally being transferred
2: in 2005. Today, the railroad commissioners are very important positions due to the current fracking boom, and the commission has over 1,000 employees and an $89 million budget, which is one of the largest of any agency in the state. But as far as anybody can tell, nobody's in any hurry to change their name. It's tradition. It's tradition. Tradition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so number six is not just one myth, but it's a collection of weird laws in Texas. Every state and municipality has weird laws on the books. Texas is no exception. One of the reasons is that the Texas state constitution is very restrictive. The state only has those powers that are explicitly granted to them, So if the Constitution doesn't say the state can do something, the legislature has to propose an amendment which must be passed by the people in the state by simple majority. So there are a lot of laws within the Constitution that are very specific and tied to the time when they were adopted. There are 643 amendments to the Constitution, and while that's not nearly as many as Alabama's 800, it's still a lot. If you go to the Texas Legislative Council's website, you can download the entire Texas Constitution, as well as its amendments, which is a 117-page PDF. Fascinating reading.
2: It's enlightening, yeah. So anyway, in addition to the Constitution, there's just plain laws that the legislature makes, as well as local laws that make it onto the books and just never leave. And some of them are silly and weird, and of course the weirder laws find their way into urban legends. Sometimes it's not even a law at all, but a proposed ordinance or a bill or an amendment that actually gets voted down. But people don't realize it was never enacted. Now, recently, the Legislative Reference Library of Texas has been going through the records to separate urban legend from fact and to expunge redundant, useless, or unconstitutional laws from the state's legal code. Here's some of the more unusual laws that they've uncovered the truth of.
1: It's illegal to hunt buffalo from the second floor of a hotel. Not true, or at least no state law has been found to state this. However, it's likely that municipal laws probably cover this sufficiently.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's against the law to try to control the weather. Take that, Lex Luthor. (laughs) We don't want your kind in Texas. (laughs) It's sort of true, actually. Uh, The first laws regarding weather modification were enacted in the 1960s, but a 2001 revision to the Texas Agricultural Code states... A notice of intent to modify the weather must be published at least once a week for three consecutive weeks in a newspaper of general circulation in each county in which the operation is to be conducted. So to all of you mad scientists out there, if you are going to try to whip up a destructive tornado over LaGrange anytime soon, make sure to publish it in three weeks out in a LaGrange Daily News.
2: <laughs> all right, here's one. It's against the law to milk another person's cow. Well, that is true. The Texas Criminal Statutes Penal Code of 1925 states: Whoever without the consent of the owner shall take up, use, or milk any cow not his own shall be fined not exceeding $10. This law is actually on the books, but it was removed because it was made redundant by the current penal code. So Get your t- hands
1: off my cow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get your hands off my cow, son. <laughs> All right. It is illegal to publish in a newspaper that another man is a coward. Now, this is true. The earliest reference for this is from 1856. Presumably, this was to
2: crack down on dueling. All right, so uh, here's one more. Criminals must provide victims 24 hours' notice to explain the nature of the crime to be committed. This is partially (laughs) false. (laughs) (laughs) But only partially. (laughs) Only partially. So it's not in the books, but it seems to be a persistent urban legend from 1973, but it has its origins in a real thing. When El Paso Representative James J. Castor tried and failed to get the penal code amended to state, quote, making it a crime to commit a crime of violence against the person or property of another without having first notified the victim of his intent to commit the crime. That sounds like uh, something for some very polite criminals that they would do, like maybe maybe criminals from Canada, eh?
0: Sounds like an attempt to uh, route around double jeopardy laws. of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, we you can't all convict heard- you. We don't have enough evidence to commit you of this crime, but you didn't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know.
1: You all heard me yesterday when I said I was going to kill him. <laughs> he had 24 hours written so notice. you can't
0: get me on that. You can't get stab- that. <laughs> <laughs> then I stabbed
1: him I repeatedly. stabbed him repeatedly. He died. He knew what was coming. He
2: had 24 hours to send me a written note. That was a perfectly legal, illegal Well, wait murder. now. <laughs> He didn't provide notice, and he killed the person. That that deserves the death penalty. We couldn't get him just on the murder conviction.
1: The, well, I would be very carefully reading my junk mail. I would not just throw the junk mail away. I would I would actually open every letter and be like, I hope nobody wrote me yeah. a letter saying they plan to kill and or rob me.
2: Well, yeah. the, the penal code was not amended with this. It did not pass. Uh, yeah. So, so what
1: is our whole point for talking about these things? Well, the, the point of this episode was, when, when in fact, one of the very first things that spawned the entire Come and Take It podcast. And it started out of a conversation because there were all these wonderful, delightful myths that not just people outside of Texas, but people in Texas believe are true. And the reason we know these myths is because, like I said earlier, our teachers were taught these myths, Mm -hmm. and then they taught it to us. Things about, like, how the... The flag the flags can't be flown at the same height yeah. except in Texas.
0: Yeah, I, I grew up thinking that for a long yeah. time too. And,
1: and I, I know I, I believe that to be true until a very short time ago when I actually looked it up and was yeah. very surprised at the results. And it's just the fact that people in Texas have a lot more pride than other places. And that is in fact an inflammatory statement to the rest of you who are not living in Texas and <laughs> listening to this right now. <laughs> but it's true because it's like it's an it's an extra expense to buy a second flagpole to put next to the American flagpole to fly your state flag, and North Dakota says one is probably going to cut it,
2: <laughs> right? And it's it's something that these are things that have permeated into the the collective consciousness of Texas, and it's not deliberate. It's not something that someone sat down and said. This is, you know, Texas can fly, you know, we're going to say, we're going to start saying this and everybody's going to have to listen. It's just something that, you know, like, like with the Texas was the only sovereign state before, you know, entering the union. Well, you you know, it's just something that's shortened from the actual truth to make it sound a little better. And, and it goes along the, the lines of Texas tall tales and the tall tales about Texas and big stories about Texas. Yeah. And,
0: And yeah. I mean, in Texas is a big state, we've got a big history and it, just a natural inclination to inflate the importance of all these things.
2: And these are increasingly obsolete e- even though the data was there the whole time. I mean, you could go to the to the the library and look up the ordinances of annexation and that kind of thing. But today in the in the realm of in the world of Google and Wikipedia. I mean, I found all this stuff on Wikipedia. It's not yeah. like I had to go searching for things. This was just there. Uh, it is. These are increasingly obsolete. But the problem is, is that now they're so permeated in the myth that in in the culture that people don't even bother to go look them up and actually find out the truth about them.
1: But I think that the the good point about this is that for the people who are listening to this right now, you're all a lot smarter than the people around you now. You're a little bit more informed about things <laughs> that everyone took for granted. You thought the world was flat, but I just blew, we just blew your mind. Yeah. The world is round, baby. <laughs> I don't know if you know Ye-ha. this, but Texas takes up 86% of the United States landmass. Did you know that? I That's believe, a fact. I believe, I believe it's 87%. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's what I was taught in school. Yes. <laughs> that was the map I was shown in grade school.
2: Uh, yeah, I, no, 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 Well, the, the Texas has... Texas is bigger. Alaska doesn't really count because there's uh, it's mostly ice. (laughs) Alaska doesn't count. Yeah, Alaska doesn't count. But we just lost we just lost our Alaska fan base. We we apologize
0: to our fans in ADAC.
1: I thought an interesting thing about this was especially with the pipeline businesses I and this was something I had learned about with the railroad commission stuff was you know, my uncle was in oil and gas, but then also because I spent so much time in telecom, like All of that right of way negotiation that happens—that's where
0: so much industry and commerce is happening. Yeah, and the whole idea of a a pipeline being a common carrier (laughs) is—I mean, I understand it in the the terms of like you know telecommunication lines and stuff, but the the fact of a pipeline delivering you know physical stuff Mm -hmm. being being considered a common carrier Mm -hmm. is, yeah. Well there's a pipeline that delivers Dr Pepper to the rest of the United States. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's so tiny. if you if it's you small. like yeah it's it's, no. it's not as big as the oil and the natural gas and the internet pipelines. Right. But if right. you dig up yeah. underground you'll see there's one clearly labeled Made in <laughs> Texas Dr Pepper.
2: <laughs> well, and these things are these things are some of the ones we we just focused on. There was, there's plenty more that we could have talked about. We may come back and do another part episode. two. Yeah. Uh, like the idea that the governor is not the most powerful position in the state. For a long time the 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 railroad commissioners were more powerful than the governor uh, was for many years, um, but the lieutenant governor and the agriculture commissioner. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I,
0: I remember hearing about the one where it's illegal to carry around wire cutters in your back pocket, right? Stuff right. like yeah.
2: that.
1: Well, I, I and I think another episode that would be fun to get to and talk to eventually would be to talk about all the different law enforcement agencies in Texas, yeah. and one of the ones we even talk about is Parks and Wildlife. The yeah. Texas Game Wards have an uh, a very difficult and dangerous job (laughs) because you're stopping poachers who are carrying rifles um, and you're in the middle of nowhere. But uh, they actually have an incredible amount of leeway when it comes to their, their legal extent with which they can enforce the laws they're responsible for. We've talked about the Texas Ranger force and we, there's just all these interesting facets of Texas law and that are, are sort of wrapped in a blanket of myth.
2: Right. And the, but the thing about it is and the reason we're doing this episode is because the facts are more interesting in many ways than the myth, and in every way, they're more interesting than the myth. That's what's that's what's distressing a little bit about the myths is that they take away from the facts and they make us look, to the extent of making Texans look buffoonish. We want to dispel that and say, you know, there are people that do know the true facts of Texas history, and the true facts of Texas history are fascinating and enriching. And the true facts of Texas
1: are is that. You know, if you look at things like gross domestic product, we have the same gross domestic product as all of Canada. Right. You know, we have, uh, in, in it's an incredible place. It's an incredible culture with an incredible history. But you don't need to, you don't need to gild, you don't need to bury the lead, as they say. Right. Like, Texas really is awesome and we really love it. So yeah. you don't need to tell people the yeah. You don't have to, to tell people. lies. You no. just have to tell just people tell that truth. Texas is the greatest state in the United States. And we will always be number one. Exactly. (laughs) Period. Point blank. I'm looking at you,
0: California. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Tune in uh, next episode as we discuss tales of fraud and malfeasance in the Texas Railroad Commission. (laughs) 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 There is plenty of it. Um, And as we said at the beginning of this show, um, if you disagree, you think we're wrong, tell us. Because it's one thing that we would love to hear more of is feedback from our listeners. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what you think we should talk about. And we may or may not listen to
2: you. Tell us what you're eating today, listening to what your favorite Phil Collins record is. (laughs) Tell us. Just tell us. Yes, Phil Collins, what is your favorite? Phil Collins, We we were once again, I want to throw out the invitation to come Phil on, Collins. Come on the show. <laughs> come on the show. We'll if, talk oh about man. the Alamo. If you know Phil Collins, if you know Phil Collins tell him about the show. Uh, Roy Field, if you know Phil Collins, find start,
1: him. Let's start a Kickstarter. Let's start a Kickstarter. <laughs> find, <Get> Phil <laughs> find Phil Collins. Find Phil Collins. To talk and about buy, the Alamo. We're gonna, yeah, and buy him a first-class ticket
0: to, to get, Texas. Get Phil Collins to talk about the Alamo.
1: Oh, on come and take it. <laughs> uh, if we hit our stretch goals, he gets to sleep on the futon. <laughs> that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on facebook follow the show on twitter at texas podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show you can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com you can follow us individually too I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java.
2: I'm at MacShawn with two Ns. And I am Scotticus. If
1: you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants, wants you, you anyway. anyway.